0: to another episode of the iron forge podcast this is a podcast where i interview clients entrepreneurs team members and investors to hear their unique take on entrepreneurship and the startup community my name is chris roach i'm of course your host and i'm delighted to say today that i am joined by one of my colleagues business partner and chief executive officer here at the forge mr sumner webster welcome to the podcast
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. I was hoping someday I'd get the invite.
0: <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was thinking that the other day. I said, I think we've had every, every other department on right now, but the developers. I thought like, it's probably time to bring Sumner onto the podcast.
1: I, I, I was so excited when I got the invite. I can't tell you. And, and you know, I, I, I wasn't going to admit it, but, you know, I, I, t- I called the devs the other day. I said, I finally got the invite. I finally was <laughs> finally allowed to jump on the podcast. So <laughs> thank you again for having me. And, and you know, it's going to be an aw- awesome time.
0: It's a good. It's a good milestone in your career to to be part of the uh, the Iron Forge podcast.
1: I've always wanted to be on, on a podcast. This is this is going to be the, uh, I believe, the second of my podcasting uh, career as my new launch starts. So uh, but, it's yeah. going to be fun.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, you, you'll know what you're doing then. So let's let's start off with some, uh, you know, for those that are watching, obviously not all of our clients get to interact with you on a, a daily or weekly basis. A lot of our clients obviously talk with different members of our team. So if you don't mind just giving us a little bit of a background on yourself, you know, where you're from and, uh, and kind of what led you to to, to starting Forge.
1: Yeah. So ultimately I started out on the East Coast. I'm a Masshole uh, from Boston or outside of Boston, Mass., um, I went to college out there. I went to Harvard, played football. Um, went from there to get my MBA at Johns Hopkins, and I kind of moved around the country, up and down the East Coast, doing various things, working for energy firms, or starting and selling um, a couple of my own small businesses, which was awesome. Um, ultimately, it came to a point where I was at a point in my career where I said I wanted to try something new. I wanted to try something uh, more than than operating high cash flow businesses, and so. I was fortunate enough uh, during my MBA to meet a couple of individuals um, that were um, on the the alumni board uh, for the business school, and was able to um, convince them somehow to invite me to to try to join them uh, while we started a a micro VC fund. Um, They were we were targeting effectively commercializing uh, a lot of med tech coming out of Hopkins, Um, and that was an awesome time. And, and Fortunately. Uh, For Iron Forge, I was able to meet my current uh, co-founder, Ian Hahn, and uh, he has regretted that day ever since. And uh, (laughs) and Now, um, as we've kind of grown, we've taken Iron Forge from the East Coast and we've taken it to the Midwest. From the Midwest, uh, we ultimately bridge it all the way out to the West Coast now.
0: Yeah, it's been, it's been quite the journey. I know over over the last couple of years, like you say, spreading from uh, really now coast to coast. And we had Ian on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he did talk about you know some of the humble beginnings. But I do think it's very interesting with your background, specifically in venture capital, because it's quite a unique perspective to be able to bring to starting your own software development company. And, and how, how did that allow you to kind of get that traction in, in the early years, having been there as an investor to now actually working with clients who are looking for investment.
1: Well, it, it provided a very unique perspective. Um, it was funny when, when we would look at investments um, early on, and, and even now I'm, I'm a credit in angel, so I'll make investments as well. in companies throughout from coast to coast, um, when we look at companies and, and you ask these people, you know, what are you really, what are you really trying to raise money for? They say, every one of them usually has the same answer, software. And when we would look at the software, there was just such massive holes, and there was no ability for these entrepreneurs to learn um, from the mistakes of their counterparts, their peers, their competitors. And there was really no best standard, um, you know, no best practices for this. And so what we ended up saying was, you know, after getting incredibly frustrated, uh, again, I somehow convinced Ian uh, to say, you know, what we should do is we should start our own thing, our own software development company. God damn it.
0: And Ian, no you're good and uh, that's the problems of being a ceo your phone is going to get phone calls as we go through this it was uh optimistic to try and get 40 minutes of uh, uninterrupted
1: i apologize chris and yeah, it's still going um It never stops. Um, no
0: I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Nick's gonna edit that part out, but honestly, we're gonna leave it in there. But uh, for, for your sanity, let's tell you Nick's gonna Nickers. edit that out for you when it before he goes live. Exactly.
1: If if Nick hears his Nick, again, remember who signs the checks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll be making a a a, a, a doozy roll, a, a b roll off this yes. afterwards. I think for for the highlights. Um, now, your background is is obviously in the more of the venture capital and sales things, whereas. Ian's was more on the the technology the design the development so for you you know you start this two-man shop and you say great you know I can sell and then Ian can fill that's quite a a balance to have there because you've got one person that can fill the jobs and you've got one person that can sell so how did you kind of teeter that up to to expand the company because uh, you know you're in quite a fragile position when it's 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 two people and you know each of you can do very distinct skills separately but there's no crossover whatsoever.
1: Yeah. So it was, um, I like to think I sold both Ian and clients on a daily basis. Um, and the, the reality is, and the beauty of it was, was that I was able to find somebody um, who was who was stronger than myself. Ian is, is quite possibly one of the best developers I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Um, and so it made it really easy to sell because, you know, at the end of the day, I could turn to a client and I could say, Hey, you know what? I guarantee this will be done. And you know, being on the operations and sales side of the business and, and also, you know, seeing investments in companies kind of mature, I was able to talk to these individuals and help them understand, you know, hey, you want to build the entire world and that's great, right? But let's start with just building a small piece of this. And, and when we were able to do that and translate that um, from the client to myself and ultimately from myself to Ian, it, we, we really saw something kind of special. Um, and again, you know, I had to sell Ian every day that, you know, these clients are, are, are you know, going to be happy with what he was able to do. Um, and it was, it was fundamentally awesome to see just, you know, um, when Ian would see the clients come out and see just how, how impressed they were with, with some of his early work, um, let alone with what we're generating now. Um, it was just fundamentally awesome to see. So again, I guess the balancing act, I owe more to, to Ian, um, you know, and being able to back up pretty much, you know, most of what I say, which was awesome. And, you know, again, for our clients for taking a nice risk on us initially, and, and hopefully they feel like they wanted that outcome too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we actually had uh, Zach on from Trend, who is, of course, one of our first clients. Uh, two weeks, I think it was two weeks ago, and he came on. And he said, you know, at the time, it was a little bit of a risk to suddenly go, Hey, we're going to work with this new company that really, they sound like they know what they're doing, but we'll see as we start getting into it. And obviously, now they're, you know, one of our, our largest clients, and we've kind of grown together, which has been a really unique standpoint and take to, to be able to go on that journey with our, our clients as they go through that. Now, we are now at a size where, you know, I consider us not really to be a startup anymore. You know, we're we're kind of, we're verging on this, you know, quote unquote, small business. And it is quite an exciting time from there. So as we've grown from, you know, two to now over 20 team members, who were the first kind of people that you looked to actually hire? Because a lot of the clients that perhaps are listening to this, you know, maybe they're having that early success and it's time for them to start expanding and, and really hiring some people. And, you know, from your perspective as a CEO, who were the first people that you looked for?
1: yeah so I probably have a crazy idea on this. Um, rather than suggesting I look to hire a certain skill set first, what what I really sought to identify first and foremost was was leaders. Um, I have the fundamental belief that pretty much anyone can be taught anything, and I believe that because I am um, someone who has been taught pretty much everything um, that I've ever had you know had the ability to work on, um, which is fundamentally awesome. and so what, what we did was we identified top talent and top potential. Um, In in a lot of places that people wouldn't look and really just never thought to look. And so what we did was we identified leaders uh, with certain skill sets and and more so really personality traits. If I was forced to give an answer on what department I was going to hire first, I would tell you that um, I had always faith in myself and my ability to close deals. So I hired first and foremost, a couple more devs. That was fundamentally one of the, the, the great and the big mistakes that we made initially uh, was because, you know, when, when you hire devs, right, then you have to hire ops. And then when you hire ops, you also need to hire more sales. And so it, it's this constant balancing act between these departments. And, and rather than, than tell you that there's some magical formula for being able to hire this, what I would say is, is you want to hire someone that has a very different personality than yourself, a very different skill set than yourself, but fundamentally has the same long term goals. And if you do that, and they are as good as you hope they are at their jobs and their departments, and you are able to provide them the resources they need to grow as the company and their departments grow, again, it, it's lights out, right? It really is a, a quite a special thing. Um, and, and it's really been um, a privilege to work with yourself and inclu- included, Chris. Um, every one of you guys, because you guys have exceeded everything that that any of us ever thought was possible, and, and really um, are impressed every day by by how you guys continue to grow this business.
0: Yeah, I mean it's been a, quite a, a crazy. I think last at least last two years of, of really when we've kind of hit that hockey stick. Um, yeah. One of the the things that I always recommend to clients is, is, is go and hire your weakness because mm-hmm. if you're very good at sales, you know, for instance, you know, in the early days you were doing primarily a lot of the sales, obviously I've taken over sales and we've gone 10 X because of that, but that's a different story. But from, <laughs> from your standpoint, when you're, you know, you personally are, are good at sales, you don't want to hire another sales guy because then you've got two sales guys and no one to fill the actual jobs. And, and, and obviously this is, you know, depending on the industry that you're in, whereas a lot of our technical founders that come to us, the first person you want to hire is a sales guy because you if you're a developer, you don't want to be out there trying to close deals. So it's, it's hiring people that fill the weaknesses and the holes that you have in your arsenal is really going to allow you to expand. Because if you don't, you're always going to get tripped up by those weaknesses. And, and even within, you know, into departments, I think a lot of our departments have done very, very good job of hiring people that are not the same as them, but really complement the style that they're able to actually go in and therefore make the department more successful. From your standpoint, as we have grown, obviously the company culture when you have two people is quite a difficult thing. There's two of you. And I know you used to have, you know, the Friday, the Friday lunches and, you know, there was a way to kind of create that. But as we've grown, what kind of company culture have, have you as the CEO tried to instill in Iron Forge and perhaps ones that you've seen be more successful or, or even less successful, you know, as you've tried different things?
1: Yeah, I think the company culture that we try to instill here every day is, is team. Um, you know, I've, I, I very much believe that that we got really, really lucky and, and have been incredibly lucky and will continue to be lucky because of how hard we work. And ultimately, though, um, you know, the, the success of each of the various departments really does rely upon each other. And, and as you mentioned a moment ago, balance, right? And, and really, so the idea that we fundamentally have here at Iron Forge with culture is, again, um, this team culture, right? You don't do something because you're scared that if you don't do it, you're somehow going to you know, lose your job. You do it because that you feel that if you don't do it, you're letting a team member down And And I know that sounds kind of um, absurd in, in today's work culture, especially, um, you know, when, with things having gone remote, but ultimately I believe that it's one of the reasons that Iron Forge has been able to operate. I mean, Chris, you and I have had phone calls across the world where I've been in Taiwan operating and growing and trying to build our branch there. Um, you know fundamentally we're able to do this because, you know, if there's something that needs to get done, right. We believe as a team that, you know, Hey, if somebody else needs this, it's, it's not our, so much our job, but our responsibility to our teammates, because we know at the end of the day, they would have the same responsibility to do it to us and they'll do it. Right. And so by putting the team first here in Iron Forge, it really has led to something where the sum is greater than each of the individual parts. And it's been a pretty special thing. And I, and I really believe that that's one of the core, um, cultural aspects that have allowed us to thrive. Um, If there was to say one other thing, I believe that it would probably be personal accountability, mainly to growth. Each of the leaders here and really, to be honest, I think every member here has, when we hired them or talked to them, we really wanted to understand not only their capacity for growth, but their desire to grow as individuals, whether that meant learning a new skill set outside of work, whether it meant, and using that as a proxy, uh, whether it meant learning a new skill set directly attributable to their work. It, it's been a really, really great um, uh, marker for us to to try to evaluate talent. And so much as, you know, look, we can hire anybody today. And if I go back to what we were talking about a moment ago, anybody can be taught anything. So the question really is, is how bad do you want it? And between the team and desire to grow, it's a pretty special thing. So we've really tried to focus on that here.
0: And are there any ways to really scan for that when you're interviewing people obviously we've had a lot of success with finding team members but you know we can't lie this the team we have right now is not every employee is going to be with us forever and you know other ways that you know perhaps you've tried to scan for that very early on and then situations where you've had people that maybe aren't the best team member and then you know kind of it's become very abundant early on that it's just not a good fit
1: yeah so i would say that early on i had a really nice luxury uh, in that the people that we would have joined the team, I had an ability to take out of the office, and I could scout these people for a couple of days, or or, or even you know a couple of weeks or months to build relationships, to get to know who they were outside of work. I I really believe that if you want to know who somebody's going to be uh, when the stress hits, when when the you know the ball's on the one, you really want to know what they're going to do um, in their day to day, not so much in the office, but who they are outside of it. And so initially, I was I was really fortunate to be able to do that and you know, I, I'll never forget, I took you and uh, Jared fishing, we went off shark fishing in the middle of the ocean. And, you know, after this entire crazy experience, right, we really got to see who each other were. And, and you know, we're in the middle of the ocean, it's storms, there's sharks involved, the whole deal. And and you know, you know somehow, after Just surviving answer, this,
0: do not do this with potential. This is this is a lawsuit <laughs> waiting to have For anybody listening. This is not a good idea. This is not a test that I would recommend doing. But it was very effective at the time.
1: Exactly. And so I have that, that portion of reality, but, but now, you know, one of the things that I, I really like to do during an interview with someone is I want to get them fired up. I want to get them passionate. I want to see their passion, their fire in their eyes. I don't care if it's about software ops, um, you know, sports, uh, boating, it really doesn't matter, but I want to see that, that, that fire, that excitement. Um, And then I, I want to try to continue to, to bring it out of them for a couple of minutes. And and during that conversation, you know, it, it's really, really um, interesting to see that you can identify just how, how much someone, commitment someone has to growth in, in some area of their life. And after you can identify really their ability to commit to growth in a single area, the next question that I like to ask myself, and, and usually the, the, um, the employee is, you know, what do you think about our job, right? What, what makes you interested in our work? And, and why would this excite you? And, you know, you can tell usually pretty quickly whether or not they're going to get excited. And to be honest, we've had people that come to us thinking they want to work in ops or, or in sales and we will work in operations because, you know, they get all fired up about something in there and we think that's okay. That's a great place to put them. And so, you know, ultimately, again, it's trying to get them excited, trying to understand who they are. And then ultimately at the end of the day, trying to place them in a position that will allow them to succeed.
0: Yeah. And that's the biggest thing I think is finding the... The right fit as a person not necessarily for that particular job because jobs change mm-hmm. and if you're exactly. someone that works very well with the company you will change with that company and you know obviously we have people like you say hired in sales or hired as uh, you know mm-hmm. admin assistants who are now project managers we've had people that have come in you know a variety of different ways and then evolved their position but it's the individual person that we're looking for not necessarily them to say hey they can fill this role because that role may not, may not be there in a year or it may be a much more mm-hmm. important role and if we can't trust you to grow with the company then we're going to to replace you and that again is unfortunately where we've seen that turnover in the past but it is very important when you are hiring is to make sure that you are on the same page with the person that you, you know that you are obviously looking for um as your role as an investor this is i think personally it, it's a great sales trait for us to be able to say that you know really our, our team has active investors and angel investors that are, are within our, our partners of the company it's something where a lot of our clients at are very early stages they're looking at raising capital it's this, you know, really open water of, of, you know, you're trying to kind of navigate of, I've no idea even what direction to go in. So for us to be able to say, actually, we, we've been there, you know, we've all raised capital as as founders of our own companies. You have personally invested in companies as well, um, to be able to have that expertise, how is it that that allows our clients to be more successful with fundraising because our track record, although we don't, you know, often release information about a lot, it is very successful. And, 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 you know, how important do you think you having those investor relationships and networks to be able to really help those clients understand what investors are looking for?
1: Yeah, I think that there's really two two benefits to um, having the ability to, to be fortunate enough to see investment from both sides, right? And, and entrepreneurship from both sides of the, of the table. And I think that uh, the first one is, is relatively easy, right? And everybody would say access. Well, you know, I think that's that's definitely there, but I think that Ironforge has, has really shown that, look, access is part of this story, but it's not the whole thing. The reason I, I think a lot of our clients are, are have great success fundraising is because of the fact that we instill the same principles that that I use personally, that I've learned from from people far smarter than myself, uh, in the circles that that you know I invest alongside. Um, but these individuals have been in business for far longer than than we have, and you know I'm not trying to call them old, but let's just put it this way: some of them have been in business longer than we've been alive. And mm-hmm. you know, to tap that knowledge and listen to them talk and, and speak on these on these various subjects is is incredible. Um, what's more incredible is being able to relay that that feedback to our clients and then actually help them put it into play, right? You know, effectively, you know, we mentioned earlier, which was, you know, we got really tired of dealing with trying to make investments in software companies when the software itself was never up to par. And if you know that was the case, the question really became why. And you know, when we looked at it from the investment side, the answer was always, well, you know, they just don't have enough time, or you know, they're just not ready, or their co-founder isn't right. But the reality was was that it was actually a, usually a far simpler answer um, in and of itself, and and that answer usually was they just. Didn't know what to do, and mm-hmm. it was this really this great box that these people were being expected to to come in and say, hey, you know, I threw money at a problem, I threw a software developer there, um, that's not going to work, right? Nine times out of ten, I mean, look at the failure rates in entrepreneurship, right? It's just not fundamentally there. And so the question was was ultimately how do we begin to translate some of the feedback from the circles we see to our clients? And one of the things that we've always reached here since and again unless you guys have changed it because I know you guys are outselling me and I give you full credit for it um, but ultimately you know is, is being able to de-risk software right um, you know Ian came to me one day uh, when we were talking about something he said you know it's fundamentally crazy that people just throw around this much money into this black box of the software and somehow expect it to come out right and so when <laughs> we sat there and we said hey how do we how do we see, you know shed light on this black box the answer was was you know we break it down to the you know, our, our entrepreneurs spend less capital, right, at various stages and effectively de-risk the process of software development from start to finish. And if you do that, it's actually a fairly straightforward process, right? There are a series of, of uh, hypothesis tests that you can run, if you will, that allow you to get there and to know not only what you're building, but to make sure that what you're building is actually what somebody wants. And, you know, fundamentally, that's always what investors really want to see, right? They always ask the same question, you know, what is, what is track record? And every entrepreneur I, you know, I used to talk to um, used to say, well, I've got 5,000 users, right? Or better yet, they'd say, well, I don't have a product, so how do I get track record? Right? And I'd say, well, do you have, have you, how have you tried to market your product? How do you know anybody wants to buy it? And you know, some of them um, would say, well, I haven't done anything because I don't have a product. And that was always the fundamentally the wrong answer, um, let me be very clear, but Rather, you know, there are individuals that would come to us and say, "Well, you know, I've been sending Facebook marketing groups, or, or I, I, drummed up a LinkedIn group, or I've been using um, this event to go and talk to people, and you know, here is you know, five thousand people, two hundred people, whatever it is that have signed up for our mailing list." There are a lot of ways to define traction, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the same way Iron Forge. We want to see where you're at, and then we want to help you take those legs that you have and help you bridge that gap that historically has just been this black box of. I put money in and the perfect software comes out, right? So here again, that's fundamentally, I think the second and most important value that we've been able to bring from our investors is look, not only can we potentially make some of these, these intros for you, right? If we think that it's a good fit, but more to the point is that we can help shed light on this black box of the software development from, not only your perspective but help you translate that to also your customer's perspective as well as the investor's perspective because remember when you're building a business you're really actually building two products if you want to have an investor involved one is a business and a product for your consumer but the second is a financial vehicle for investors to make a return on and those aren't always the same thing and a lot of times our our clients in particular when they come to us they don't even think about it right they say oh man i I really just want to build it for my consumers well that's great. But, you know, if an investor is going to make, you know, invest in this, they have to be able to make a return. And so to continue to bridge that gap and help bring in that, I guess, continuous feedback loop um, from the other side of the table has been really, really powerful for our, for our clients.
0: And that's where I think that, you know, perhaps this entrepreneurship is, is glamorized of, you know, you're going to create this unicorn and you're going to go out and you raise, you know, $5 million on, you know, your, your, your seed round, you're going to have no traction. You can do the next Instagram, the next Facebook and, the fact and the reality is you're not, you know, anybody listening, you're not, sorry, it's just not going to happen. Um, the chances of doing that are so minuscule that really it's about how can, you, how can you justify, like you say to an investor, that this is a vehicle that's going to generate them wealth and generate them, you know, a return on that investment. And you have to show that people are interested in this. And a lot of entrepreneurs get in this this, this kind of this stage of, well, I don't want to release it because if I release it and then it doesn't do well, my valuation goes down. And I remember having the conversation, not, not actually with a client, but with a good friend of mine who had raised hundreds of thousand dollars and they were afraid to launch the product because they knew as soon as they launched, there was the risk, there was that small risk that, mm. that users weren't going to use it. And then suddenly the hype was over. And I remember thinking, I was like, that that cannot be the way to launch, to launch a technology. Like that is fundamentally a flawed system. And that's really, you know, when we had those conversations, we started bringing things in like the clickable prototypes where you can test that validation mm-hmm. much earlier on. And even like you say with, uh, you know, with Ian, with the conversation of, you know, this, this software development is, is quite a crazy concept of, here, I'm going to give you hundred thousand dollars, And you're going to build me something that I can't see. And, you know, part of the frustration that we had with clients very early on is I'm telling you it's going to cost $100,000. And you're sitting there thinking, well, what is going to cost $100,000? And that really gave birth to the discovery process where we can actually Mm -hmm. now itemize each of the different features. And, you know, for a lot of... A lot of businesses and a lot of business owners, owners that are out there, if you listen to your consumers, they will tell you what to do. We listen to our consumers. You know, our customers are obviously, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, and startups. We listen to them and we provided solutions and that gave birth to the, you know, the prototyping and then ultimately to the mm-hmm. discovery process. It's not a complicated system it's just, nobody wants to do it. And that's, that I think is the biggest takeaway is you have to take a step back sometimes and listen to what your customers are saying because they will point you in the right direction. You just have to be open to actually listening to what they want.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's funny, Uh, you know, I I can think of one person um, and and, and you
0: hear me, I talk about it all the time internally.
1: Uh, There's been one person that I'm aware of that has ever told a consumer what they wanted and his name is Steve Jobs. yeah. Other than that, right? It's always been that the same feedback loop, right? You know, you, you have a hypothesis, right? Where you go out and you say, Hey, a, a client wants this. An entrepreneur wants this. Well, how do you know like you said if you, if you don't test it right if you're scared to dip your toe in the water you're never going to be able to swim after that blue ocean that everybody wants to talk about so much right you've got to start dipping your toe and then your foot and then your leg and that's just you know again you can do it at low cost you can do it in ways that that makes sense and don't jeopardize your brand and your reputation because at the end of the day right you learn more from your failures than you do successes and let's be honest here um you know all, every startup in the world i and, and maybe i'm wrong here but um i believe every every startup in the world has learned just as much from trying to launch new product lines and new feature sets as they, that have been unsuccessful as they have been with the successful ones. So the question is, is why don't you do it faster? Right? Everybody talks Mm -hmm. about iterating prototypes faster. Fine. Right. Go use smoke tests to do this. Don't sit there and wait months and months for development, because if you try to chase perfection before you get out there, you're never ever going to achieve it because how could you, it's fundamentally at odds with the concept.
0: So. And, that's, and that's where you get into the whole paralysis analysis. You, you'll never launch a product, you know, you'll continue to go back and forth and, and you'll ultimately never end up launching a product and you'll, you'll run out of runway because there's only so long you can last fundraising when you don't go to market. At some point you have to go and get real customer feedback. Now, Kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, our our individual clients have been very successful in fundraising and, and you obviously as an investor, you have certain connections and certain networks that have actually, you know, at times invested in, in some of our clients as well. You know, there are, there has been some kind of crossover there as someone that is looking to invest in a, a startup. What is the value that the Iron Forge guarantee kind of brings to the table? You know, if I'm a startup that's going to raise capital, having a team like Iron Forge, or even better, having Iron Forge on your team, how does that actually increase my chances of being able to fundraise from angel investment groups and from venture capitalists?
1: Yeah, so fundamentally, let me start off with. I'm going to be biased on this, obviously, right? We both are. Um, but fundamentally, look, you know, when I when I always look at investments, there's really three things that I break risk down to, right? Because at a pre-seed stage. Right. Everyone wants to talk about revenues and the rest of it. All I can tell you is, is that I have yet to see a revenue projection that actually matches, let alone is in the same, you know, stratosphere of what is on the PowerPoint. And so I break it down into risks, right? There's really three fundamental risks with every pre-seed investment that I see, which is the product, the market, and the team. The beauty of Iron Forge is we can kind of kill two birds with one stone, right? We can definitely kill one, which is product. Ironforge guarantees an outcome. We don't guarantee hours on the clock. We don't guarantee any of this. We guarantee that what you want to build, we can build at a price that's fixed. And the reason we can do this is because we go through all of the stages before we actually enter into development. And this allows us to get you where you need to be. And so a lot of times you hear about products, startups that go to market and with products and they say, well, you know, I raised a million bucks and i tried to build a product, but I never got it launched. I just need another million dollars to get the product launched." Well, that's awesome, but like, what happened with the first million? And they sit there and they say, "Well, I was iterating. Did you ever get to market with any of those iterations?" Well, no, we never made it that far. Well, we were, but we never got all of the features right. And so, what Iron Forge does is, again, we de-risk one of them wholeheartedly, which is again, we eliminate product risk. The second piece that we can really help with is the team risk, and you know, with technology ventures in particular. But to be honest, over the last couple of years every startup involves some aspect of technology. And so what we're able to do is, you know, if someone had told me years ago that I could find a developer that would code all the platforms and be able to build backend, all the backend and all the rest of it, I would have said, you know, yeah, they've got to be out there, right? They're, that's not a unicorn, right? I can tell you after doing this now for as long as I have, ultimately that is a unicorn in and of itself, right? There is no single person that can do everything in technology. And, The reality is, is that technology today usually doesn't just have a web platform or a mobile platform or an Android or, you know, again, just VR, right? There are aspects that are so um, intermingled between these these various quote-unquote product lines, right, Um, or platforms that ultimately means that you need a team of more than one person to be able to build your vision and your company. And because Iron Forge has, we go through the struggle of finding these people for you, we eliminate that from your need too. So all you do is work with us and we're able to, again, put together the team you need for that specific project. And for us, right, it's great because you're now a client of Byron and For you, it allows you to have a product and an outcome guaranteed at a fixed cost on your budget. So in, when you're fundraising, you don't have to worry about this as much because we all know just how difficult it can be to sit in front of an investor and say, hey, you know what, like I need to raise more money even though I haven't been able to hit my milestone well, why? Because my dev team didn't do the right thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: again, we tried to solve that problem. And I think, I believe we have, and I, and I hope our clients feel the same way.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, we've had a number of clients on the podcast who have you know, obviously spoken very positively about their experience with that. So I've, uh, no, I'm fairly confident to say that the fixed price guarantee is working wonders for the clients that are able to commit to that. Cause again, I mean, like you say, there's nothing worse than allocating a certain budget to something and then realizing it's not going to fit. And it's a conversation we have in the, in the discovery stage, in the design, in the, you know, once you get to the development, if you don't have a fixed price and you want to go this hourly rate model, it's fine, but just know you're never going to hit that budget. It's always going to go over. There's never been an instance in the history of software development where an hourly rate project has finished under, under budget. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, you're in that situation where, you know, you really have those those two distinct options and having that fixed price means that you are, like you say, you're buying the, the outcome. And we use houses, we use meta- cars as metaphors. You don't want to buy, you know, the wood, the bricks, you know, like you're buying the house, you're buying the, you know, the, the outcome and the complete product. And that is is really where I think clients that want to go and fundraise, you can earmark specific funds, which is very powerful, especially when you're in the early stages and maybe you're only earmarking, you know, $100,000 of $150,000 range, that $50,000, if that's not earmarked and specifically used for software that can then be used for marketing purposes, for, you know, paying the founders for, you know, for whatever, whatever that is, but it means that you've not got that risk of the software development creeping into other resources and therefore kind of being left in that situation where you do run out of cash very, very quickly, which unfortunately is is what we see with people before they come to Ironforge normally.
1: Well, and it's funny you say that, you know, because I think one of the things that, you know, we've done a very good job of here and I take a tremendous amount of pride in is, is after that initial build, right? We, I always get the same question, um, which is, you know, well, what is the role after of Iron Forge? And the answer is, is it's what you need it to be, right? We're not here to try to bill you hours on a clock. We gave you an outcome, that product's gonna work. So we get asked all the time, well, don't we need a maintenance contract? No, you don't, right? We The software we built will work. Mm-hmm. That's why we have this for you. And so they say, well, you know, we would love to continue working with you guys. And what we do is, We'll sit here with our clients at the early stages and we have this update cycle where a client will come back to us every three to six months and we'll sit down with them and say, hey, do you wanna update your product? And they'll say yes. And the beauty of this is, is that, like you said, Chris, it allows you to allocate budgets specifically to what is needed, right? And at times it's needed for. And you know, ultimately there are times when our clients will grow past the needs um, of, of Iron Forge, right? And they'll sit there and they'll say, hey, I need a 24 seven dev team you know, to support this product because I have to bring, you know, these resources in house. And, and what we say is great, tell us how we can help. And, you know, ultimately what we do is we will transition the product out from Iron Forge onto their local dev teams as their companies grow and, and have larger needs, right? Um, that's the the beauty of, of what we do here is is we take you from point A to point B. We're not gonna drop you at point B. We're gonna help you get beyond that because let's be honest here, right? The, the, our clients are our best resources they are our best advocates and and you know when we're asked you know how do you know it works right we're able to point to them and and you know i'm I'm incredibly happy that um you know our clients have, have feel that there is such value being provided and i hope that they continue to feel that way and i think they will um and i'm very excited to see you know ultimately when they outgrow the needs of iron Forge. that's a big day for us that means we did our jobs and we did it well
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's, it's nice when the clients actually do outgrow. Us. I mean, it sucks that they leave us, but that, that part is, is never fun. Um, but it, 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 is a, it is almost a pride point because you're thinking, mm-hmm. hey, we built that. And it gets to the point where it then can become a much larger company and it, you know, you're kind of watching it soar then, which again... Mm-hmm. Uh, monetarily speaking sucks because we lose a client <laughs> but you know from from the perspective of, of, of from our own pride it is it is very nice to watch our clients grow to that point and you know for it's a question that we get asked in, during the sales process, at what point do I need to hire my own developer? Mm-hmm. I can tell you, it ain't going to be in the first year you know, of launching that. You know, <laughs> it's going to be a couple of years in typically, you're going to have the ability to grow and you're not suddenly going to have to you know, suddenly have two or three developers on the platform full time. Um, and I do think it's interesting, you, know, you, you said earlier, you, know, you, you can't find a developer that is going to do all of it. Um, and I would like to point out on that, you can find a developer that will do every platform, iOS, Android, VR, everything else. You just can't find one that can do all of it well and that's the issue it is unfortunately there are a lot of people out there that are saying hey yeah i can do ios i can do android i can do you know i can do it all absolutely the issue is nobody can do it all well because of how quickly those technology stacks change. And to stay relevant, you have to specialize, you know, you become a master of, of, of usually one technology stack, you know, maybe you're a full stack developer, which again, is, is, is extremely really rare to find a very high quality full stack developer. Mm-hmm. Nobody that, that we've worked with is able to do all of them to the level where we feel, you know, we could sell to a client. So when, when clients do say that it is unfortunately one where we say, Good luck. Unfortunately, we, we may be seeing you in six months because it, it, it's it's unlikely to work out. Um, but yeah, just just as a, you know, anyone that is is obviously looking at that, just be careful when people tell you they promise you the world. It, it isn't always the case with software development. It's usually a very expensive mistake to make.
1: Well, and I told you that I that I used to sell Ian Daly. One of the first sales I tried to make Ian on was that I was a developer. And let me put it this way to you, right? You're 100 percent right. Like right? I can write code. I can use Figma Sketch to design to design products. But man, I'll never forget. I showed him one of the things I had built. <laughs> he showed me one of the things he had built. And, and I just I hung up the keyboard <laughs> right then and there. Right? <laughs> like it was done. And so you know, again, like you said, it's one of those things. Right? Yes, technically, I guess everybody could do it, but things are changing faster than ever. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it is impossible for someone to keep up on, on, on multiple stacks, multiple languages, multiple frameworks. Yeah. And, and and so, you know, why suffer, right? Why, why even bother to try, right? They're the best that we've seen out there have specialties and at that same level, right. Let's go get them. Let us put together that. And then ultimately our clients can look at us almost as a generalist hire that they would have hired for somebody else. Right. A lot of times um, it's cost competitive.
0: Yeah, no, it is absolutely. It's mm-hmm. that's again the conversation we have with clients when you're looking at the overhead associated with a full-time developer mm-hmm. compared to just developing the project. It's usually a pretty no-brainer when you see that. It, it's it's mm-hmm. really is can be a very cost-effective way and a very lean way of starting the company. And again, at some point, like we say, you will need to have a full full technology team in house. But it it's usually not in the first three to four years where it's going to make sense. It, it, really, it really can last you a lot longer than many clients can make. And if you are one of the startups that gets to four years, you've already beaten the odds. So more power to you because you're going to be able to continue and, and hopefully scale and grow from there. Um, but no, someday, I mean, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure you know, having you on the podcast and thank you for taking the time out of your hectic schedule to sit down with me. I know we've been kind of going back and forth with, with times and days and trying to get something that pinned down and, and worked for both of us. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on this call um we will be posting this video on podcast shortly and if you are out there listening and you're an entrepreneur or client and would like to be featured on this you can reach out to me directly at roach at ironforge.co otherwise stay safe stay healthy and we will see you next time
1: see you chris thanks again